Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Rogers Communications, Inc. third quarter 2021 results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. Following the presentation, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Paul Carpino, Vice President of Investor Relations with Rogers Communications. Please go ahead. Thank you, Ariel. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today, I'm here with our President and Chief Executive Officer, Joe Natale, our Interim Chief Financial Officer, Paulina Molnar, and our President of Wireless, Dave Fuller. Today's discussion will include estimates and other forward-looking information from which our actual results could differ. Please review the cautionary language in today's earnings report and in our 2020 annual report regarding the various factors, assumptions, and risks that could cause our actual results to differ. With that, let me turn it over to Joe to begin. Thank you, Paul, and good morning, everyone. Today, I'll take you through the highlights of our third quarter, then I'll provide more details on our priorities and how we are meeting the needs of our customers. I'll also talk about how we are well positioned to drive long-term growth. Before turning to Paulina Molnar, our interim CFO for more detailed commentary on our financials. As many of you are aware, Paulina assumed the interim CFO role with us late last month. She has been with Rogers for 16 years, most recently serving as Senior Vice President, Controller, and Risk Management Lead. Paulina brings 26 years of industry experience to the role, and we're very fortunate to have her leadership at our table on great for very grateful for Paulina's contribution. Before we begin, I want to briefly touch on the recent reports in the media. As you know, board discussions are and should remain confidential. So we will not be providing commentary on board meetings and we'll focus our discussion on our strong Q3 results and the improvements we are seeing across our business. As we move through the final few months of 2021, the economy is opening up. Travel restrictions are easing with the planned reopening of the land border with the U.S., and we are all encouraged to see more of life return to pre-pandemic routines and experiences. And as we recover from the pandemic, the improvements across our business are clear. And my leadership team and I remain fully focused on continuing to build on this momentum and growth over the coming months and quarters. We delivered strong results in Q3 with continued improvements across all of our businesses, led by a very strong recovery in wireless. Our wireless postpaid net loading service revenue growth, blended ARPU, and impressive wireless postpaid churn rates all improved during the quarter. 
Notably, our 175,000 wireless postpaid net additions were well above the levels seen prior to the pandemic in 2019. In fact, Q3 reflects our strongest quarterly wireless postpaid net loading since 2008. Multiple factors drove these improvements. First, as the economy continues to open up and people become more mobile, we are seeing pent-up demand for new phones and our services. Secondly, to meet this increased demand, we have been able to leverage our strong national distribution network as customers return for the in-store shopping experience. Additionally, the investments that we have made in our digital capabilities continue to pay strong dividends, enabling us to support the needs of our customers through convenient digital purchasing options, which have never been stronger for the Rogers organization. Finally, our ongoing efforts to lower churn and better manage our base continue to pay off. This is reflected in our 0.95% wireless postpaid churn rate, which was a record low for the third quarter, despite the highly competitive back-to-school selling period. Importantly, these improvements are flowing to the bottom line. Wireless service revenue is continuing to recover and was up 3% year-over-year. Blended ARPU of 5131 is also improving and was ahead of our previous expectation for the third quarter of $50. This was aided in part by some modest improvements in roaming revenue as people have begun traveling more. And while our roaming revenues remained substantially below pre-pandemic levels during the quarter, this increase in travel extends to the land border with the U.S., which will reopen early next month to non-essential vaccinated travelers. Coupled with improving international travel, we expect to see sustained roaming revenue improvements in the coming quarters. Turning to our cable business, we delivered year-over-year revenue growth of a solid 3% and adjusted EBITDA was up 2%, both of which, which were in line with our expectations. This was achieved despite our decision to postpone price increases. And as we continue with our capital spending to connect more communities and businesses and bridge the digital divide that affects underserved Canadians. On a product basis, our internet net subscriber additions include 17,000 net new broadband subscribers. And our Ignite TV platform growth remains very strong attracting an additional 64,000 subscribers in Q3. This now brings our total Ignite TV base to more than 730,000 subscribers, an impressive 55% increase compared to just a year ago. Our Ignite TV platform combined with our Ignite Internet Gigabit 1.5 service continues to be well-received by our customers. Finally, in our sports and media business, revenue was slightly below the prior year and adjusted EBITDA was positive. Both of these were in line with our expectations. And while we remain focused on delivering improvements as we move past the impacts of the pandemic, we also remain committed to making the right investments to deliver long-term value to our customers, to our shareholders, and for Canada. 
Our consistent focus on investments in our networks delivers incredible value to our customers. A recent PwC report assessing the relative quality and relative cost to build telecommunication networks across the G20 nations found that while Canada faces the highest cost to build networks, we also continue to lead the group in the quality and capability of our networks. Rogers Network Leadership has been recognized consistently throughout the year. We were named the best in test for the third year in a row by Umlaut. Additionally, OpenSignal ranked Rogers number one for 5G reach, for 5G availability, for the 5G voice app experience, and for the 5G gaming experience, and 5G upload speeds. Finally, Ookla, the global leader in fixed broadband and mobile network testing applications, recognized Rogers as Canada's most consistent national wireless and broadband provider for the fifth quarter in a row. These awards are just awards. They reinforce that our investments in our world-class networks not only keeps Canadians connected to what matters most today, but will also help bring them the very best service in the future and for years to come. An example of this network leadership is our accelerated rollout of Canada's largest and most reliable 5G network. We now connect more than 850 communities, and by the end of the year, we will extend our 5G network to more than 1,000 communities, reaching 70% of the Canadian population with 5G. The strong performance of our networks is underpinned by the strategic investments we have made in Spectrum. This includes our success at the most recent 3,500 MHz auction, where we secured enough Spectrum to cover 99.4% of the Canadian population. This Spectrum builds on our foundational investments in low-band 600 MHz and makes Rogers the largest single investor in 5G Spectrum in the country across rural, suburban, and urban markets. As we continue to lead in 5G deployment, we also remain committed to expanding fast and reliable internet connectivity to communities across Canada. In July, we announced a $140 million investment to deliver fiber technology to more than 20,000 homes and businesses in Quinty West, Belleville, and Prince Edward County. And last week, we announced that we will invest over $188 million to extend our fiber network to connect more than 24,000 homes and businesses in Ottawa, Clarence Rockland, North Grenville, and Carleton Place. By the end of 2021, we will reach more than 500,000 households in rural and underserved communities. This not only helps rural and underserved communities, but will also help drive future growth. We continue to work hard to expand coverage and high-speed capability to rural Canadians. And while I'm proud of our ongoing efforts to connect rural and underserved communities, we know more must be done. Fast and reliable connectivity not only enables people to learn and participate in the digital economy, it's also a critical lifeline, providing vital access to healthcare, social services, and emergency services. The scale of the generational investments needed to address our country's ongoing connectivity needs is significant. 
which is why our agreement to come together with Shaw is so important. Together, our two companies will deliver world-class connectivity to communities across Western Canada faster than either company could ever do alone. Not only will this give rural, remote, and Indigenous communities better and more comprehensive service, it will also create jobs. It will attract investment and drive greater, comp drive greater competition for consumers and businesses. We continue our constructive engagement with the regulators as they review the transaction, and we expect the deal to close in the first half of next year. Before I hand over to Paulina to give a more detailed overview of our financials, I'd like to thank the entire Rogers team, 24,000 team members across the country. I'm incredibly proud to lead a team of people whose dedication and determination continues to deliver outstanding service to Canadians and Canadian businesses, while continuing to improve our operations, manage costs, and deliver improving performance from quarter to quarter to quarter. And with that, let me now turn the call over to Paulina to share more details about the quarter. Paulina, over to you. Thank you, Joe, and good morning, everyone. Our Q3 results reflect solid improvements across our businesses, led by our strong performance from our wireless operations. In wireless, we delivered postpaid net additions of 175,000, or a 27% increase from one year ago. Impressively, these net additions were all smartphones. This healthy recovery and loading reflects the impact of our continued reopening of the economy, the effectiveness of our extensive physical distribution channels and digital capabilities, and a record low churn rate for Q3 of 0.95%. The strength of the wireless recovery can also be seen in our year-to-date performance, where wireless postpaid net additions of 318,000 were 57% higher than the 203,000 in the pre-pandemic first nine months of 2019. Service revenue improved 3% from last year, and ARPU was $51.31, up 4% sequentially from Q2. The sequential service revenue and ARPU improvement reflect the better loading environment, as well as some additional roaming revenue. However, roaming revenue still remains at about 50% pre-pandemic levels, given lower travel. Finally, wireless adjusted EBITDA was up 2%, and adjusted EBITDA service margin was strong at 65% in Q3. Our cable business continued to deliver solid financial results. Total revenue grew 3%, and adjusted EBITDA was up 2% year-over-year. Cable margin was a strong 51%, and capital intensity was 23%. Cash margins remained at a healthy 27% in Q3. We continue to see growth in our internet and Ignite TV subscriber base. We added 17,000 broadband additions within our overall net internet additions, and Ignite TV subscribers grew by 64,000. 68% more than Q3 last year. Impressively, our Ignite TV subscriber base now stands at 732,000, a 55% increase from one year ago. 
Overall, with these additions, we grew our net households by 8,000. Moving to our media business, we continue to see the volatility of the pandemic on broadcasting, advertising, and Blue, Blue Jay Game Day revenue, but underlying operational trends are improving as the economy opens up. Media revenue was $473 million, down 3% from a year ago. This was driven by lower advertising and broadcasting revenue associated with the NHL and NBA completing their seasons late in the third quarter last year. This decline was partially offset by the higher Toronto Blue Jay game day revenue that resumed this year, but still well below typical pre-pandemic levels. While year-over-year -year comparisons of adjusted EBITDA are skewed by the pandemic impact of sports broadcasting schedules, adjusted EBITDA returned to a positive $33 million in Q3. At a consolidated level, total revenue for the third quarter was, a flat, was flat on a year-over-year -year basis, and adjusted EBITDA was down 2%. However, service revenue was up nicely, growing 2% year-over-year. COVID-19 impacts in Q3 were still notable, with estimated impacts of $112 million in revenue and $117 million in adjusted EBITDA. Capital expenditures in Q3 were $739 million, or 47% higher than last year. Year-to-date CapEx is just under $2 billion, or 17% higher than 2020, reflecting capital intensity of 18%. As we have highlighted throughout the year, Increased capital spending is aligned with our continued commitment to investing across Canada. These investments are critical to building our 5G network and improve, improving the digital divide to connect more Canadians. Cash income taxes of $175 million were up $100 million from Q3 last year, but consistent with levels reported in Q2 of this year. This represents a cash tax of 11% of, uh, as a percentage of adjusted EBITDA, higher this year given our transition to device financing. Free cash flow was $507 million, down 42% as a result of increases in cash income taxes and capital expenditures. As of September 30th, we had over $6.4 billion of available liquidity. This includes $1.6 billion in cash and cash equivalents and a combined $4.9 billion available under our bank credit facilities and our receivable securitization program. Our weighted average cost of borrowings was 3.8% and our weighted average term to maturity was 12.4 years. Leverage was three times adjusted EBITDA at the end of third quarter. Industry payments for the 3,500 MHz spectrum have been pushed further into the fourth quarter as the government works on clearing certain spectrum for wireless use in Canada. We anticipate that this will be completed in the fourth quarter, at which time we will pay for our spectrum and leverage will be approximately 3.5 times adjusted EBITDA. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
Let me now turn to our Q4 outlook, which continues to reflect positive momentum in our business. In our wireless business, our traditional retail distributions are fully open. Our digital capabilities are strong and our, the economy continues to improve. Against this backdrop, we anticipate the healthy loading environment to continue in Q4, particularly given the holiday selling period. We believe service revenue will show solid growth on a year-over-year -year basis of approximately 5%. Despite typical seasonality in Q4, our poo should grow 2% year-over-year. We anticipate our strong wireless adjusted EBITDA service margin performance to continue at the 63% level, and we expect CapEx intensity for wireless to be approximately 16%. In our cable business, the company has not implemented any price increase in 2021. However, we still anticipate revenue to be consistent with Q4 last year, or a 1% increase sequentially from Q3. Cable-adjusted EBITDA margins are expected to rain, remain in the 51% range, and we expect CapEx intensity to remain at 23% as we continue to enhance our cable infrastructure and provide connectivity to more communities. In our sports and media business, we expect revenue to grow on a year-over-year -year basis to just over $500 million as more professional sports programming ramps in Q4. With the resumption of normal NHL and NBA schedules, we will also incur some additional programming rights and broadcast costs. So adjusted EBITDA is expected to be negative by approximately $35 million. Finally, on cash taxes and free cash flow, we expect our cash taxes to be in the $25 million range in Q4 and, um, as we have paid the majority of our taxes in the first three quarters of 2021. We anticipate free cash flow to be similar to Q3 with somewhat similar CapEx spending. Overall, we're very pleased with the improvements in our business as the economy continues to recover. Our team is executing well, and as we move past the pandemic, we expect our results should more fully reflect the quality and potential of our wireless, cable, and sports and media assets. Let me now turn this back to the operator to commence with Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then 2. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Drew McReynolds of RBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, good, good morning, everyone. Um, uh, for you, Joe, just to be clear for, for shareholders, you know, we, we see this morning the board formed an executive overnight committee and is conducting a governance uh, review, obviously, of the, the support of the board. Um, just, just three sub-questions here. Have any strategic or operational priorities of the company changed uh, in any way? Do you see, you know, any impact on the, the company's ability to close uh, the transaction with Shaw? And then lastly, from your perspective, just any change in your ability or commitment to execute, uh, you know, on what you uh, intend to do looking forward? Thanks, Drew, for the question. Let me be unequivocal 
in my uh, commentary. Um, I've got strong, unequivocal support from the board to direct the strategy of the company that has been approved over the, the, the last many strategic sessions with the board to keep driving the operational initiatives that we've been talking about over the last many quarters uh, that continue to drive the improvements and momentum that you're seeing and to support the approach around the Shaw tr transaction. And I'm feeling as comfortable as I have been in the past with the Shaw transaction, both in terms of our ability to get it approved and the synergies that, that, that stand behind it. So uh, I feel supported and rest assured that the team, the entire executive team, is focused on two things. One, running the business to keep driving performance, and two, landing the Shaw transaction and the synergies and integration efforts that stand behind it. I hope that Thank answers you. your question. Yeah. Yep, that, that, that's Joe. Thank you. And uh, just just a follow-up uh, on wireless. Uh, you know, clearly Q3 just hit the mark on almost every KPI, and it sounds like that momentum will, will continue into Q4. Um, you know, maybe a question for, for Dave. Uh, just on the lower churn uh, in the quarter, um, you know, still not necessarily a fully normalized Q3, but impressive to see the, the churn reduction. Uh, just could you comment on, you know, whether that's a function of better base management? Um, is it a structural decline in churn? Are, are there other dynamics there uh, on, uh, on that drop? Thank you. Yeah, sure, Drew. Um, uh, happy to, to cover that. Um, yeah, I think it's a number of things, uh, and certainly we are pleased with what is really a record low churn number for us uh, in what is normally a, a higher churn quarter, uh, given the promotional activities that are usually underway in Q3 with back to school. Uh, I think I'd point to four things. Um, uh, the first would be base management, as you said. I think the team has done a great job um, of effective base management. Um, uh, that uh, has, you know, helped with a number of structural improvements uh, in how we manage our base uh, and how we manage our customers. Uh, the other ones I'd point to, though, would be um, unlimited. Uh, as, you know, as was said by Paulina and Joe, we're now at 2.9 million, uh, 2 .9 million um, uh, subscribers on Rogers uh, Wireless uh, that are on the unlimited plans, uh, therefore not being impacted by uh, um, significant overage revenues. Um, secondly, I, I, the other kind of key point too is uh, if you look at the FIDO base, which is a material component of our consumer base, roughly 85% of the FIDO base um, are on data overage protection plans, which is the FIDO's version of uh, Rogers Unlimited plans. Again, they don't um, aren't subject to overage unless the, a customer chooses to buy a top-up. Um, so, you know, with both of those two numbers, you can see that the vast majority of our consumer base uh, is uh, on unlimited plans. Uh, and what we've seen is, you know, you get a somewhere in the range of a 25B uh, improvement on churn uh, on Rogers Wireless. Uh, if you look on the FIDO base, uh, um, we actually get uh, almost twice that uh, in the range of about 45 basis improvement um, from customers on data overage protection. Um, so I think that's actually a very significant factor in this. Um, uh, in, the, in the overall churn reduction. The other two I'd point to um, is uh, we've made a lot of service improvements uh, to try to enhance our likelihood to recommend and our promoter scores, uh, and the team have done a great job of removing friction 
uh, for our customers um, uh, and servicing and supporting our customers both in retail uh, and in our call centers. Um, and that, for sure, uh, has significant and material long-term benefits on churn uh, for, I think, obvious reasons. And the final one I'd point to are the material and significant network investments um, that we have made uh, in improving the quality and capability and coverage uh, of our uh, 5G network. We now have the largest 5G network, um, the most reliable 4G network, and 5G network. Uh, and all of that is a significant material player um, in the service and experience uh, value proposition that we deliver to our customers. And I th so I really think it's, it's all four of those things, um, uh, you know, kind of coming together uh, um, to, you know, create the, the record low churn numbers that you're seeing. And uh, hopefully we'll continue uh, as we go into Q4 and uh, next year. Great. Appreciate the detail. I'll pass it. Thank you. No problem, Drew. Thanks. Thanks, Drew. Uh, next question, Our next question comes from Vince Valentini of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much, and my congratulations as well on those strong wireless um, KPIs. Um, one, I had a different question, but I'm going to start with this just to follow up on something you just said, Dave. Any chance you can give us anything um, more granular on the, the net promoter scores or likelihood to recommend, recommend sorry, uh, in terms of how much it's improved versus where it was before or how Rogers might now stack up with industry peers? Yeah, I, I um, you know, my view on likelihood to recommend Vince uh, is uh, you're never really done, right? It's an ongoing journey. Uh, and, um, you know, good enough for me is when 100% of our customer base uh, is willing to recommend our services to others. So um, I don't, you know, we're not going to disclose the exact numbers. Um, I would say we've had pretty material um, and significant improvements uh, in that metric over the last uh, three to four years. Um, uh, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be. Um, uh, and uh, um, I think we still got a lot of opportunity and room to improve. Uh, and the team's focused on, on doing that to do right by our customers. So, Fair enough. Thanks. The main question I was going to ask is, I mean, the churn is great, but obviously your, your gross ads were up pretty meaningfully year over year as well. Uh, is there any concern, and Joe or Dave, whoever wants to take this, is there any concern you, you may be doing too well? I mean, we haven't seen numbers from Bell or Telus yet, but I suspect that 175000 is going to easily win the quarter uh, for the industry. Do, do you think that you've, if you have too much success, it could it engage a bit of price response that is not uh, something you want from, from them? And, and maybe as part of that, is there anything you can tell us about the mix of you said there's no tablets in that number, but um, the mix of, of flanker brand versus main brand that that comprise that 175. I'll take the first part, Vince, and then I'll ask Dave to comment on uh, the mix side of it. Um, let's say first of all, you know what you saw from the Rogers team this quarter was the strength of our distribution come into full focus. And that's with retail traffic still not really at where it was pre-pandemic. Retail traffic is roughly 75% of what, where it was pre-pandemic. Um, but the other thing you saw is that when we started in the pandemic, we had a very limited, um, very minimal digital capability to transact outside of our stores. And the team has worked in day and night since the beginning of the pandemic to shore up that capability where we think it's at competitive strength and at the very least parity with the competition. So now, you know, we can fight with both hands. Um, 
and we're going to keep these muscles growing and going. Uh, I can't predict the competitive reaction in any particular season or quarter or any particular uh, you know, set of results. I uh, will say to you, we're very pleased with the results. These are high-quality subscriber uh, nets that will have a very strong uh, EBITDA flow-through associated with them. Um, and, um, you know, and you add the other channel capabilities we've built, like Pro on the Go, and other things that you're going to hear from us in the coming, you know, a uh, few quarters, you'll see that we continue to build distribution strength. And distribution strength along with, you know, um, uh, service friction reduction and improvement, you know, underpinned by, by likelihood to recommend to your first question, Vince. Like, that's the secret sauce of this business uh, overall. The network quality is there now. We're best in class. And, you know, we understand that, you know, network Quality is a parity discussion uh, in Canada, given the quality of networks across Canada. So you win by distribution capability, and you win by customer service and likelihood to recommend, and both of those have a very strong momentum, and we're just not going to relent on them. Okay, over to you. Yeah, so um, I think, Vince, the, well, first of all, in your question around the mix uh, of of that voting, first of all, it was, as Paulina said, all on smartphones, so that's great news. In terms of the brand mix, uh, I'd say we were exceptionally pleased in that we really kind of you know, had strength in all three uh, areas uh, of our postpaid business. So um, uh, as you looked at the numbers as we went through the quarter, uh, FIDO had an outstanding uh, uh, quarter and was well ahead of its, uh, its projected number. Uh, but we also had strength uh, and beats uh, on Rogers Consumer Wireless and on uh, our R4B business, our, our B2B business. Um, so I think, you know, in all three areas, uh, um, we, you know, we showed strength. And so that, that's good news. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the exact splits between them. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, the biggest number of those three would have been on FIDO, uh, which is, I think, typical for what's, you know, happened uh, in this business across the board on the flanker side of the business for uh, many quarters. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we uh, were in a positive position uh, across all three uh, of those brand segments. Um, uh, and, you know, to your, you know, first question, I guess the only top up on what Joe said is, uh, listen, I, I'm very comfortable that, um, you know, we did not, um, you know, uh, get the net additions and the gross ads uh, in the quarter through excessive and aggressive promotional activity. Um, certainly we were uh, matched up well uh, against our uh, competition as we went through this, but um, you know, uh, it wasn't through undue um, uh, promotional aggression as you went through the quarter. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, when you look at you know, the split between uh, uh, um, additions and gross ads that ported their number into us uh, versus gross ads that did not, in other words, were net new uh, uh, numbers. Um, uh, most of our benefit on the fourth side actually didn't come from, um, it came from the fact that our churn w was much better. So in other words, we were losing less port outs um, as opposed to uh, a huge win on port ins. Uh, and what we had a lot of strength on was in uh, those uh, non-port um, uh, growth uh, in our business as we uh, grew accounts uh, and families uh, within uh, within our, um, uh, our existing uh, account structure. Vince, I've taken note. I've written down too good. Uh, I've known you for about a decade. We've had many calls together with investors and earnings calls, and I've never heard you say the word too good. So I've, I've marked this moment in time 
uh, 8.34 on this particular date. So, 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 so have I, Vince, because we're, you know, in the midst of budget discussions for 2022, so I'll also, you know, make sure I, I, I remember that, uh, you know. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Vince. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Vince. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Jeff Fenn of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thanks, and good morning. Um, just a quick clarification uh, to start. Um, I think I heard the 174,000 loading were all smartphones. Uh, did I hear that correctly? Um, maybe I'll start there and then a couple of very quick uh, follow-ups. So, uh, yes, uh, um, the, all of them were smartphones. Um, uh, in fact, uh, our smartphone loading uh, in the quarter was uh, uh, closer to 180, um, uh, as we were slightly negative uh, on tablet loading. Um, so that's, okay, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, my, my next two questions are, are related to governance and the Shaw deal. Um, just on the governance side, uh, to follow up on Drew's question about the Executive Oversight Committee, um, that was just formed. Can you give us a bit more details on the mandate of this committee? Because there's no disclosure uh, on your site. And is there any overlap or how does it overlap with the, um, with the executive committee? So that's the question on governance. The other question is related to the Shaw transaction and particularly on the financing. Um, talk about uh, new debt that you have to raise for that transaction. Um, can you update us on any discussions with lenders, rating agencies uh, related to that financing, especially in light of with the recent um, spectrum spend? And can you just update us on what your plans are related to the financing for that transaction? Thanks a lot. Sure. Thanks, Jeff. I'll take the first comment um, on uh, the governance question. I'll ask Paulina to uh, frame up the financing and some of our recent discussions with debt rating agencies, et cetera. So let me say this, uh, as disclosed in our MDNA, the Executive Oversight Committee was created to advise and assist the chair and me, the CEO, in carrying out our respective duties and to establish clear protocols for interactions between the chair and members of management. And, and that's essentially what it is. Um, the board has also resolved to undertake a comprehensive corporate governance review, which boards do from time to time take a, a, a corporate governance review. Um, I think these initiatives will, will serve to continue to strengthen the, our governance practices, which have always, always, always been excellent in terms of the company. And, you know, rest assured that I continue to work very collaboratively with every member of the board. We just had a board meeting yesterday. It was a very good discussion on the future of the business, on the Shaw deal, on what's driving the momentum, on what are the biggest challenges ahead of us. Uh, it was a very strong, collaborative, and thoughtful discussion with all board members. So that will persist, Jeff. Um, Paulina, do you want to talk about the financing? Yes, thank you, Jeff. Um, in terms of the financing, I guess for the spectrum that we need to pay for, you know, with our leverage that I talked about of over $6 billion, we're covered there. We've got the financing to pay off that spectrum that will be coming up in the fourth quarter. Um, in terms of the Shaw acquisition, um, yes, you know, we're going to 
um, be looking at uh, the debt levels there and what we need to do, um, $20 billion. Uh, we've started planning for that. You'll see that we've uh, put some hedging in place um, for interest rates during the quarter. We've got um, the term loan that uh, we put in place the prior quarter. Um, you know, we are going to uh, be looking for those synergies of $1 billion, and we're, um, you know, feeling very comfortable around that over the first two years. Um, that will help us bring down some of that debt level as well. Um, you know, our, our debt leverage um, will be 3.5, as I said. Um, once we pay for the spectrum, we think it'll go to over five times after the Shaw transaction, um, but we'll come down within 36 months back to about 3.5 times. Um, you know, our discussions with the rating agencies are ongoing, and we're committed to working with them um, to say uh, investment grade. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Aravinda Galapadige of Canaccord. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, two from me. Uh, first of all, uh, with respect to uh, the uh, on the wireless side, the cost of equipment obviously recedes down 10%. Um, I know there has been sort of a, a trend to its BYOD a little bit in Q3. I was wondering if you can comment on that and whether you see that as sort of more of a temporary movement. Obviously, if that does continue, there are positive implications for COA, COR. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that. And then secondly, on the cable front, um, you know, you're, you're faced with, on one hand, I know the pandemic has affected sort of the movement in terms of internet net ads. On the other hand, you're faced with sort of uh, more aggressive fiber rollouts from the telcos. Um, wanted to get uh, sort of your thoughts on um, sort of your own uh, fiber initiatives. Can we sort of expect that uh, the CI on the cable front would remain where it, where it is? or would, would you need to kind of step that up a little bit? Thank you. Thank you, Arvinda. Um, I'm going to ask Dave to talk about, you know, what was driving the cost of equipment and, you know, what of it is temporal versus, you know, structural uh, overall, and then I'll take the cable question. Dave, over to you. Yeah, thanks for the question, Arvinda. Um, uh, yeah, I would say most of it's probably temporal, right? Um, as you said, a, a modest decline in cost of equipment. Um, I think as uh, a lot of people on the call will be aware, uh, the OEM and smartphone OEMs uh, uh, were constrained on inventory, um, uh, both Samsung and Apple, uh, which would be the two largest uh, in, uh, in, our, uh, in our mix and our base, um, struggled with uh, chipset availability, uh, as is happening you know, across the industry. Um, I'd say we did a, the team did an excellent job of managing that in. Uh, and uh, making sure that you know we had the right phone available for our customers when they wanted it and needed it, but uh, I think that did dampen um, some upgrade activity uh, and uh, renewal activity uh, within our base, uh, and probably caused the, the mix to skew a little more heavily towards uh, bring your own device, uh, as people were basically you know decided to stick with the device that they had uh, while they waited for availability on uh, the. the uh, uh, the phone that they really wanted to get, right? Um, and you know, do you know? Uh, the next question probably will be: Do we see that continuing as we get into Q4? Uh, likely, um, I think the uh, chipset constraints are, are going to continue to challenge the supply chain uh, within the industry, um, you know, throughout Q4, uh, and probably as we get into Q1. And we'll have to do a very good job of working with our partners at Samsung and Apple 
uh, to uh, you know, uh, manage inventory, make sure we get it out to our uh, various different retail locations uh, immediately and quickly um, to make sure we continue doing a good job of uh, matching up uh, uh, customers uh, with, the, with the device that they want. Okay. Joe? Thanks, Dave. Um, on the cable question or questions, uh, a couple of thoughts overall. Let me just first talk to our network technology roadmap. Um, first of all, bear in mind that, um, that Bell's fiber to the home overlap is just under 50% of our cable footprint. And also bear in mind that we offer speeds of one gig across our entire footprint. Or roughly 4.5 million homes past entire footprint. And that we're also in the midst of upgrading to a 1.5 gig profile in specific areas and with more to come, we're going to run that of course across our footprint. At the same time, in areas where we believe that it makes sense, as we split nodes, and we've done a lot of work splitting nodes, our uh, homes per node is half of what it was four or five years ago. And we continued on that path to get to uh, a passive network and all the things we've talked about in the past around that. But in some areas, it just makes sense to go to GPON, and we're doing that. So in Atlantic Canada, where it's largely aerial infrastructure, we looked at node splitting, and we said, you know what, um, let's not uh, spend the money on uh, node splitting a coax network. Let's just go with GPON, um, and we've done that. And we've done that in other parts of Brownfield. And for about eight years now, our Greenfield locations have all been fiber fed right to the home. So we continue to have a combination of fiber and DOCSIS. We're very pleased with the DOCSIS roadmap. Well, this has been a lot of discussion around DOCSIS 4.0 uh, over a hybrid fiber coax network. And DOCSIS 4.0 is set to deliver symmetrical multi-gig speeds, you know, 10 down, 6 up, uh, as sort of, you know, uh, limits on the current thinking around the DOCSIS protocol or specification, and that will be stepped, you know, towards that level, um, and it's, you know, a highly reliable, highly secure, low-latency network. Uh, it's in the early stages of develop development, but we've got a lot of runway with our current infrastructure, a lot of runway. You know, our average of our base is sitting at about uh, 300 meg of service, right? Uh, and so the road from 300 to 1.5, and then DOCSIS 4 on the back end of that, you know, uh, supported by GPON and where it makes sense, we think we got a really good winning formula from that perspective. What's it gonna cost? It's gonna cost somewhere around 20% CapEx intensity, 20 to 22%. You know, what will drive it to 22, 23% is the amount of service expansion that we have um, in front of us. And as I've said to you in the past, we're committed to driving service expansion, not just by leveraging some of the funds in the UBF and other programs, but also by driving our fixed wireless capability. And a fixed wireless, we're probably about uh, eight to 12 months behind our peer in terms of deploying fixed wireless. The capabilities all there, we worked very hard to put it to the test. Uh, in this quarter, it's a very de minimis number, call it less than a thousand or about a thousand of our net ads are fixed wireless. We think that can grow, grow dramatically. Um, and so when you take 
the, let me stack it up for you, take the recovery from the pandemic as, you know, our sales teams are out and about driving volume, as stores are open up again, the channels are back to full speed. You add to it the incredible um, competitive advantage of the Comcast uh, Ignite platform, and you've seen that in our TV numbers. We have TV nets are positive for the first time in 10 years in our business. Right? And then you add to it um, our Wi-Fi capability that we've worked hard to create uh, around a whole home Wi-Fi and the smart home automation that's coming in the next few quarters. We have a winning product formula. We have a winning product formula that I think will do very, very well in the marketplace. Um, and combined with the fixed wireless capability, and we can see continued, you know, growth and improvement in our expansion and that additions. The macro conditions are still there. We still believe that you know housing starts will be in that 60 to 80,000 range um, any particular year. Um, and you know, given the investment in 3,500 megahertz spectrum, the fixed wireless opportunity is quite large, not just in our current serving territory, but we bought a lot of spectrum in Western Canada. Uh, in areas that will be um, great for fixed wireless capability. So there's an opportunity there that's part of the Shaw transaction as well. So I'll just, I'll just stop there. That's sort of the color on the topic of fiber versus DOCSIS, uh, on the topic of where we see nets and fixed wireless going, and the CI. Hopefully that answers your question, Arvinda. Yes, it is. Thank you so much. I'll pass the line. Great. Thank you, Arvinda. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Jerome Dubrule of Desjardins. Please go ahead. Yes, thanks for taking my questions. Um, the first question is on uh, maybe the drivers of, uh, of ARPU, which, uh, which was probably better than expected. Um, how, much, uh, how much roaming revenue was, uh, has returned in the quarter? Also, uh, are we starting to see some, some fees coming back, like uh, late payment fees? Um, if you can comment on that, please. Dave, we take that? Yeah, sure. Happy to, Jerome. Um, so I would say, you know, the drivers of ARPU in the quarter were first and foremost um, some strong uh, subscri subscription revenue uh, growth from uh, the strong net additions that we enjoyed uh, this quarter uh, and to some extent last quarter as well. Um, and more critically, the mix of those, as we've already discussed, uh, towards being high-quality uh, smartphone additions. Um, so that'd be the the, the biggest driver uh, of that positive return. Um, uh, I, I also do think, um, you know, to my comments earlier around the percentages of our base, both in FIDO and Rogers, that are now on um, uh, unlimited and data protection plans, data overage protection plans. Uh, I think that's also contributed uh, to this in that we are through the lion's share of the headwind that was overage revenue declines uh, that we had been impacted by in previous quarters. Uh, and then the third one is roaming, um, as you uh, already noted, Jerome. Uh, and that is, um, it's up quarter on quarter, uh, still down pretty, uh, and it's up year on year, but down pretty materially from uh, 2019. So we were in the range of about 50% of uh, our 2019 roaming levels. Um, so certainly still a significant upside and room to grow there as Canadians uh, get back to, to uh, traveling. So. Okay, thanks, that's helpful. And, and just uh, also on the migration to Unlimited, you touched on that a, a, few, a few times, but um, on the cost front, 
Uh, now that the migration, I, I understand, is mostly completed, um, where are we in terms of uh, achieving, um, as you were calling, the simplicity dividend? Um, where are we in terms of uh, cost benefits of this uh, migration to um, to unlimited? Sure. Well, why don't I start? Um, uh, I coined the phrase simplicity dividend when we launched uh, unlimited and data protection in um, June of 2019. Jerome, we actually went back to the business case just in the last couple of months and said, where are we versus the business case? And I'm happy to report that we're right in the target zone of what we anticipated. We thought we'd be at roughly around uh, 3 million. Rogers customers were at 2.9. Um, and FIDO, we've, we've actually overachieved where we thought we'd be in terms of the percentage of customers on data protection, as Dave mentioned. It's 85%. Uh, in terms of the churn benefit, um, you heard Dave talk about, you know, 25 beeps on Rogers and 45, 47 beeps on, on FIDO. Uh, that was pretty much in the zone. Uh, we did mount the overage revenue uh, that was part of that strategy, and that has now uh, uh, hit bottom. We're at, we're at the bottom of the J-curve, and now it's, we said that would take six to eight quarters, and here we are roughly six to eight quarters after that. And, you know, we're, we're, we've turned the corner on that overage melt as a whole. And then if you look at the call drivers in our business, you look at digital adoption, you know, in terms of call minutes, we have been reducing anywhere from um, uh, 12 to 18% of call minutes for the last couple of years. And there are a number of drivers around the call minute reduction. And we think of call minutes, think of it as the number of calls times the duration of calls, which is really where the cost drivers are. Uh, and that's gone down because of a broad set of actions, but the heart of that is the simplicity dividend that we've been describing. So it's shown up most starkly in terms of reduced cost to serve. You know, phone call costs us about $10, uh, and that's a substantial cut in the number of phone calls and duration of phone calls. And then uh, with that as well, um, you know, we alluded to likelihood to recommend scores. I would tell you that Managing an overage and bill shock conversation is a very painful and debilitating exercise for a lot of our call center reps. And those have essentially you know, uh, gone down to a very, very small uh, number of calls. So it, it has shown up on that front uh, as well quite broadly. Uh, and then we have the opportunity now that we're continuing to mine around base management in tiering people up to the higher tiers of unlimited which come with other services and capabilities uh, like, you know, a tablet edition or like Disney Plus or things of that nature that you may have noticed uh, um, in your mystery shopping. So we're very pleased with that outcome overall. The simplicity dividend is very much in the bullseye um, of where we wanted it to be. And now we, we've got the overage melt behind us. And I think we actually have a structural advantage at this point because, I mean, I don't know what our peers where our peers are at, but they've never really disclosed the extent to which their base is on unlimited. And we're, we're through the hard part now. We've got the advantage we all talked about. You remember me talking about the fact that, that we were marching into 5G with an overage rate plan structure that was conceived in 3G, right? And that's now behind us. The only other one I'd add, Joe, uh, is uh, uh, as part of that simplicity dividend uh, is um, because along with the reduction in minutes comes a pretty significant reduction in credits, right? Uh, credits and, and fee waves because 
uh, you know, the thing about that overage revenue is a material percentage of it ended up getting credited back to customers when they phoned in and complained, and we had to mitigate their bill shock as well, right? So, um, uh, you know, and uh, I think, uh, you know, all of those things have helped contribute to our margin improvements that you've seen uh, in the business over the last uh, uh, number of years, right? And I'll say to you, with them and the customers on data protection and unlimited, when people start traveling again, roaming is a very different context. Yes, they'll buy a roaming pass, right? But they're not worried about the minute bucket or the data bucket anymore. Uh, and that's a, a bit of an interesting sort of, uh, you know, benefit to worry-free roaming as well. Thank you for your that's question. That's helpful. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Jerome. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Sebastiano Petty of J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Just wanted to circle back on some of the, uh, one of the comments that David uh, Dave made regarding just the device supply chain. What at all are you seeing in terms of supply chain constraints as it pertains to the 5G network deployment? Obviously, you gave the target for year-end coverage. But as you're thinking about and planning for the 3,500 megahertz and other future uh, 5G spectrum deployments, any issues in the supply chain and beyond wireless, anything that perhaps uh, on the cable side as well that you're seeing? Yeah, thanks for the question, Sebastiano. We feel we're in good shape in terms of the wireless network deployment. Bear in mind that a lot of the heavy lift is already done. Uh, I don't know if you recall, but when we did our 4G LTE advanced uh, implementation and the radios we put up on the towers, et cetera, we did that, did that uh, later in the 4G LTE advanced cycle, and therefore we were able to secure 5G-ready radios from Ericsson. So a lot of the equipment lift is already there. And for other things that we need along the way, we've been stockpiling. As supply chain issues have become a global phenomenon, we've been stockpiling things uh, and, you know, building up uh, inventory uh, to make sure we don't have a challenge, whether it's in the network uplift on 5G, the coverage and capacity building that we're doing, uh, or whether it's in our cable uplift GPON capabilities. So we feel good about that. Um, in terms of CPE in the cable business, we feel good about where we are in that. We've also managed to improve safety stock levels, and the supply chain team has done an incredible job of managing in the face of what's been happening in terms of global chip shortage. Um, you know, the nexus of focus has really been on the smartphone side, right? Because uh, it, these are hot devices, and in the scheme of the global supply chain for smartphones, Canada uh, collectively amongst all the players is a small part of the base, and therefore, you know, it's always a question of not you know, where they go in terms of uh, uh, companies, where they go in terms of country. Now, we're fortunate to have very strong relationships with the major smartphone providers and work very collaboratively with them on that, um, you know, given we have the largest wireless business and the volume. That, but that's really where the focus uh, in Dave's world is, but we're fine in terms of network and cable CPE. Hope the answer to the question is about channel. Yeah, that's great. And then circling back, I think, Joe, in your prepared remarks, you talked about um, by the end of 21 reaching about 500,000 households in rural and underserved communities. I guess two, you know, two questions related to that. When do you, I guess, you light those up in terms of, you know, marketing and, uh, you know, trying to uh, target those? 
And when does that become a, you know, when you start to see those numbers, penetration gains, et cetera, you know, start to come through the internet and broadband, uh, you know, KPI line. Thank you. So um, just to be clear, Sebastian, that's a cumulative number in terms of our rural base. And we typically, from time, we light them up, and we've been adding to it all year. Uh, and bear in mind, there are about 2 million underserved homes across Canada. So that's the, the target market set that's available to us uh, to go build to with either um, fiber, uh, fixed wireless, or any other sort of technology that comes along the way. And to that end, there are many different government programs to help subsidize the funding in non-economic areas. And to my comment earlier, I believe fixed wireless is a very important part of that strategy for us, uh, as well as some of the UBF uh, and other uh, opportunities to partner with governments uh, at you know, all orders of government, provincial and federal, to kind of close that gap. But in terms of when we um, finish the construction and installation of a particular neighborhood or site, to the time we actually light it up, uh, you know, it's measured in months. It's measured in months. A lot of it has to do with sometimes we build ahead. If it's a greenfield operation, even in rural, there are small communities being built in rural, and the trench is open, we put the fiber in, and then we have to really wait for people to move in. So that's more a function of people moving in. But if it's an area where there are existing um, uh, rural customers, um, we're, you know, we're actually um, um, building and delivering like right away in fixed wireless. Like there's, we light up the tower, and then it's a sales effort, and the CP doesn't get installed until we have a customer. Uh, if we're running fiber down, you know, a farm community or a country community, uh, we've already, you know, uh, knocked on doors and got, if you will, uh, um, support for what we're doing. And therefore, we've already made a base of customers in that particular community. So the cycle between construction and revenue is uh, well managed and, and uh, very tight from that perspective. Thanks for taking the questions. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Sebastiano. Uh, we're at the top of the hour, so that'll conclude our call. Uh, but please feel free to uh, reach out to the investor relations team with any, uh, any follow-ups you may have. Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Carpino for any closing remarks. Thanks, Ariel. Uh, please feel free to follow up if there's any additional questions. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.